Welcome to the 20th episode of The Brief. I'm your guest host, Kate Mittoon, Middle East PR Association Executive Board Member and also Managing Director and Founder of Acorn Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Sam Achampong, General Manager of the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply in the MENA region, and also Michael Farmer, the author of Madison Avenue Manslaughter, a bestseller which discusses how agencies are caught between fee-cutting clients and profit-hungry owners. We'll be examining how procurement of communication services have become what they are today and how to achieve the best outcomes for both sides of the fence. A very big welcome to the podcast, Sam and Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Lovely to be here. It's a pleasure, Kate. Thank you. So firstly, let's start off with a little bit of history. Um, It's important for us to know where we've come from to get to where we are today. You've both got very, very different perspectives and Michael from a consulting background and seeing how the agency side has evolved over time and Sam with how the procurement industry has evolved within the Middle East. So just starting off with Michael, can you give us some background on how we've come to this point from the heyday of the Mad Men era to where we are today? Sure, Kate. Uh, Happy to do so. This is an industry, I think, that has been through more dramatic strategic changes than any that I saw during my 20 years with uh, Boston Consulting Group and Bain & Company. Uh, I started consulting to the advertising industry with a first client in 1990 when I had my own firm. And since that time, I've watched the uh, change in fee structure from commissions to fees. Uh, I've seen clients globalize. Then around 2004, 2005, we had the dramatic increase in media possibilities with digital and social advertising. Um, We had the financial meltdown in 2008. And since 2009, which is, you know, roughly 10 years ago, advertisers have not grown their sales very much. It's been a confusing time. And procurement sort of jumped into the business at that point uh, to try to uh, control costs and get a better perspective on what was happening uh, with investments in the industry. So we had procurement coming in and uh, reducing agency fees, uh, reducing unnecessary media expenditures, et cetera, as a way of bolstering advertiser performance. And uh, what we have seen over the, the 30 odd years that I've been doing this for agencies and their clients is a dramatic increase in uh, the amount of creative work that's done and a dramatic decline in agency fees and agencies which are owned by holding companies under pressure to reduce their costs to bolster holding company share prices. So it is a very complicated mix and it's hard to run an agency uh, in a logical way under those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, through reading your your book, Madison Avenue Manslaughter, I think I was really just fascinated by um, how we've come to this point and just, you know, this I had a lot of aha moments as I went through it, really understanding, you know, how, how we've gone from advertisers as kind of the advisors and then um, business consultants coming into the mix and therefore, you know, and then, you know, we see a decline in, um, in fees and rates for agencies as well. 
And Sam, so I know you have a great deal of experience in procurement in the Middle East. You've been here for 12 years and worked for some great companies like Nikhil, Abu Dhabi Municipality and Majid Alpha Tame. Now you're leading the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply in the MENA region. How have you seen procurement evolve over the last 12 years? Yeah, thanks, Kate. And uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. First of all, I feel very comfortable, even though I'm surrounded by um, a load of PR people and uh, <laughs> and other people from different industries. Uh, I'm feeling the love. But um, yeah, procurement, it's interesting to put it into perspective because procurement as a profession is on a maturity curve. So if we put PR aside for a second, um, you know, the, the, the simple art of procurement coming out of the 80s and going into the 90s is something that's that's grown from being something that was um, originally very transactional to being something that's positioned as being something strategic in an organization. So if you look at um, from the UK, UK where I'm from, um, procurement did really start to, to become more mature and more strategic um, towards, you know, 2000. To that, throughout the 2000s, going up to kind of 2005, etc. And then I came to the Middle East, and um, the interesting thing was I was trying to see what the maturity level of uh, procurement as a profession is when I arrived. Uh, uh, and I remember at the time thinking that it's about uh, no. 10 years or uh, 15 years behind the UK um, as a as a kind of point of reference, which which it probably was, which meant that you're looking at a profession that at the time was not very mature anyway, and then coming to the Middle East, um, where the profession was even more immature than it probably was in more advanced parts of the world. So, so how does that play out? That means that um, the the most advanced procurement practices um, would sit in something like oil and gas in the Middle East at the time, uh, because that was the may, maybe the prevalent um, um, category of spend and, and, and probably real estate, etc. Uh, and what that means is that you've got an immature profession, and then you've got a category of spend, you know, marketing and PR, uh, and some other ones that are that are really not mature from a procurement perspective in any case. And it means that the, the procurement managers who are dealing with that spend uh, obviously don't necessarily have uh, the, the, the commensurate understanding of that category that perhaps they should have. So, so, so that, that, was the, that, that was the marker for 10, I guess, when, when I arrived in this region. Um, uh, procurement in its entirety um, has grown in maturity over those kind of 10 to 12, 12 years since I've been here. And you've seen uh, more strategic, more more professionalized, more qualified uh, procurement practitioners and people who can take a more holistic view um, uh, in this region as it's gone along. But, but there are clearly, ex there, there still does exist areas in which um, I'll say it's probably not even a maturity curve anymore, but it is um, an area where there certainly should be a lot more collaboration between, um, let's say, procurement and um, specific industries, let's say, marketing and PR, because it's the collaboration um, at this stage which will bring understanding to both parties so that you know, each individual party gets what they're trying to get out of the transaction, which at the end of the day is value. Um, pr procurement, I guess, sometimes the, the perception is that procurement are out to um, get involved in a transaction and to cut costs. Um, that's not the whole story. Uh, procurement's remit in an organisation is to is is to generate value, and uh, and I think Michael did did mention one thing in 
his introduction was that um, that a lot of unnecessary spend uh, was taken out out of PR, you know, PR costs. So, so yes, that's that's a correct definition of what, of what procurement is is here to do. If that spend is unnecessary, however, um, it, it shouldn't really be a blanket opportunity to slash costs. Um, you know, at the expense of um, the kind of detailed specifications or scopes of work um, that the ultimate client is looking for. So it's not it's not all about cutting costs. It, it is about um, having a consideration for quality as well. And Absolutely. any professional yeah. procurement person uh, uh, fully understands that and should do. Yeah, and I think, you know, myself having been here for 12 years and running the agency for 10 years, I can see how that procurement process has developed over time and, you know, as a market in general where we're maturing and, and getting better at a whole lot of things and procurement and, and hopefully um, public relations and communication services, one of those as well. Um, so as an agency owner, I can see that um, that there's been evolution and really grateful for some of that rigor that's been put in place as well. And I think, you know, at, at some point as well, you know, you can see some of some parts of, um, of procurement do kind of come into that cost cutting. And, um, and when you start commoditizing public relations or advertising or creative services that really re require a strategic view of things then the um, you know the the ability to respond with talent and um, and then grow the industry um, you know that that is then compromised as well so it is an interesting balance I think um, but so Michael um, I know you you talk a little bit about decline a lot sorry I mean your book um, about declining fees and the doom loop that agencies face um, this is particularly relevant as many agencies try to stay afloat and we're, we're trying to navigate the pandemic and um, unfortunately there's a lot of agencies that are responding by cutting their prices uh, in order to win any business for, for the sake of getting it through the door what are some of the strategic responses that you've seen and management actions that agencies and the end user can take to help mitigate some of some of these cost cuttings that we see in the industry? Uh, Kate, happy to respond to that. And uh, Sam, great to great to to hear you talk about procurement and its evolution. You know, uh, during my consulting career at BCG and Bain, I saw procurement do heroic things in industries like aerospace. Uh, manufacturing of white goods uh, in the automotive industry by not just attacking costs, but attacking uh, process inefficiencies. And the one thing I'm aware of from my consulting practice with in the agency world is that procurement had great difficulty working with agencies back in the 90s in particular. Uh, when they came into the industry, they said, let's take a look at the process between agencies and their clients, uh, let's look at what's efficient and what's inefficient. And agencies basically stiff-armed them by saying, wait a minute, you know, who are you to be interfering in this creative process? So agencies were not good partners for procurement back in the 90s. And procurement, thinking that the agencies had something to hide, said, well, listen, if that's your attitude, <laughs> you must have something to hide, and we're just going to start whacking your fees. I've been told this by very many senior procurement people during that era. Now, here's the problem with the agency procurement relationship. Uh, procurement normally focuses on improving process efficiency, like briefing, at approval, that sort of thing, even the creation of scopes of work. 
agencies don't keep track of how much work they do. They don't know uh, how much work they're doing for a given fee and for how many people it should take. That's one of the great findings from, from my book. So it makes it pretty hard for procurement to jump in and uh, look at the data and start to think, here's where we can improve processes. If there's one thing agencies could do that they are not doing today, that would be to document and measure the amount of work they're doing and use that in negotiations for their fees. Absent that, the only thing that they can negotiate are the number of FTEs and their hourly rates, and they're up against procurement, and they're not going to win that battle. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure, Sam, if you have any, anything um, in in response to that. I think it's um, certainly, um, certainly, um, you know, I, I guess both sides of the table and um, and trying to come together to um, to understand those pain points is really, you know, I guess the the starting point of it all. Did you want to say something there, Sam? Uh, absolutely, and I think uh, I think there's an awful lot of middle ground here because I think, uh, as I said, uh, you, you know, everyone is, is is trying to do the same thing, and I think Michael is absolutely correct. Uh, but I, I think, unfortunately, what it boils down to is this: is that uh, procurement is you know one of those functions that sits. Uh, kind of you know slap bang in the middle of an organization so uh, it can only be as effective as to a certain extent it's allowed to be so i always say to to internal stakeholders that uh the more effective you want procurement to be is the earliest you involve them in whatever process or project um, you, you're undertaking uh, because in reality if you bring if you involve procurement at the tail end of your project you know you, you've looked at the scope you looked at the specification you looked at what you want to do as an internal stakeholder and then you give the project over to procurement and say can you go out and uh, either find a supplier or, you can, or can you go out and tender it or can you do some sort of sourcing exercise that is that really is the least that procurement can do. And at that point, all they can really do is look at the commercials and try to, to cut costs. That, that, that really is the only um, value add they can add. Whereas if you get um, you know, the function involved at the, at the planning stage of whatever project it is or, or marketing exercise or PR exercise, then actually procurement could work with you at that point to, to, to value engineer the outcome so that the, the tender process is immaterial and you're not just looking at the cost, you're looking at um, other elements as well. Uh, in other words, as as you said previously, you're not just commoditizing it. Uh, and I've been in procurement for a while, so I've seen many, <laughs> many examples of bad practice. Have you got some best case and worst case, some place, you know, places where you've seen it work really well and places where it's just kind of fallen apart? Yeah, I think it, it, there's, it, it all boils down to, um, you know, you, using your, um, from an internal stakeholder perspective, using your internal procurement team as a, a strategic partner or as a transactional partner. And a transactional partner is you've done everything and you go, there you go, um, can you now go and uh, do a tender? And, uh, and I've seen, uh, you know, quite bad examples, like, for example, in this region, you know, you, you come around to um, a festival period such as Ramadan and you, you, you'll have an internal stakeholder who would have been planning uh, whatever PR or marketing exercise they're going to do around that time of the year. And that they've been planning that for six months and two weeks before they will then go to procurement and say, OK, can you go out now and do a tender? 
um, and procurement will say, well, we don't really have um, that period of time to go out and do a tender exercise. Uh, therefore, you're probably going to have to single source. Um, and, uh, and and when you receive the single source quote, we're just going to have to, you know, uh, reduce that supplies cost down to, you know, X percent lower to fill in to fill in with whatever uh, arbitrary budget that has that 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 has actually been uh, dreamt up. When in reality, um, th that's where the problem lies. Uh, two things that department has known and has been planning uh, for this exercise for six months, uh, but has not involved procurement. But at the same point, uh, there is a, a big, um, you know, responsibility of procurement to have engaged with their own internal department six months earlier, because they know they're going to come to them. They know mm. that this festival, they know that Ramadan yeah. is going to happen. Hey, Sam, right. could I jump in here? Of course, please do, because please I, do. I think you put your finger on something quite important. Uh, the there is a bias against planning uh, it, within the agency client relationship, and and it's it's gotten worse over time. I mean, in in essence, if we if we step back from the process, we think, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to grow our brands uh, over a long period of time, and we're doing this through a series of strategic and tactical, creative, and media executions. Um, what's happened, I think, is that people feel like, well, creativity, you can't really pin down and, you know, we need to get a sense for the marketplace as it is today. And there's sort of a, a, a bias against thinking about what do we need to do this year? Uh, what is the position of our brands today? Uh, what do we need to do to grow them this year? What should be a proposed program of spend and mix and creative work to get it done? And I don't see the pressure on either the marketing side with the clients or on the agency side uh, to take this as a much more serious planning exercise. And if I had to put my finger on uh, the biggest process flaw in the relationship, it is a lack of specific planning for the work to be done and a lack of measurement about how much work that actually involves. And I think that that's where procurement could really try to sort out uh, both parties, uh, marketing department on the one hand and uh, the agencies on the other by saying, look, we can't do our job unless there's proper planning. And that gives us time to you know, do the bidding or do the negotiation or whatever needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Planning is a big problem between the two parties. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that we see from agency side as well is just that, you know, um, that ability to run the diagnostic of what is actually going on. And if we if we have the chance to then respond to a problem and help to solve that and have strategic involvement in some of those those outputs or what that scope looks like, then the, the solution can be often far stronger for, for a lower rate as well. Or, you know, yeah. Um, and I'd add one other thing, Kate, that I think... Uh, uh, makes it difficult for procurement. If you look broadly at the performance of advertisers over the last 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, after 2008, but before COVID, they simply haven't grown. Mm -hmm. uh, the growth rate of sales has been oh, two or 3% per year, no more. Yeah. And that includes, even if you include Apple, or Netflix or Amazon in the mix of advertisers. That's still the case. There's some major advertisers that haven't grown. Therefore, procurement has been under pressure 
to make up the difference by slashing costs everywhere. Mm. And almost all of the big consulting firms, A.T. Kearney, Bain & Company, McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, work with procurement to find ways of slashing costs. And of course, media costs and agency costs are part of that equation. So it's a little hard for agencies to want to partner with procurement when they know that procurement is under the gun by their management structure to reduce costs. And I've heard many agencies say that uh, they don't want to involve themselves with procurement because they don't trust them. And they think that any data they give them will be used against them. Yeah, interesting. No, you're absolutely right. And I think what happens is procurement gets put in the mix at that critical area where their only option is to go to that bottom line and start saying, right, reduce your fees, reduce your, you know, work on a BOQ basis. What is your unit rate? And that is just the wrong, that is a blunt tool to be using for PR and media services. So right. So right, Sam. And and the thing is that, Given the fact that media is now so fragmented among so many different channels and no one is really sure what works, the workloads that have been given to agencies by their marketing partners have grown enormously. So that's one one issue. And yet, on the other hand, their fees have been cut uh, by procurement for, in many cases, good reasons. But that means that because agencies are doing more work with less fees and fewer people, that Mm. the quality of the work has gone down. And that's another reason why I think procurement is calling for reviews of agency relationships every three years or so. So overall, I think that quality has really suffered uh, here in the last 10 or 15 years. And I think procurement is in a very strong position to do something about it uh, by bringing some order to the processes between the two parties and, and, and many of the processes within the marketing department itself. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I have to say, I think, um, you know, the the planning phase and the ability to, um, you know, to put that planning in. I wonder also if part of this process, I mean, a, a lot of the um, the RFPs that we see here, we know that there's anywhere between, you know, sometimes there's as many as 18 or 19 agencies that are bidding on a project. And um, I have to wonder, you know, if, if that gets the most effective time and also just, you know, the, um, the ability then to respond clearly if you're, you know, if you're receiving all of these RFPs. FPs and you know you're one of 15 to 20 every time as well. Sam, do you have any views on that and what, you know, the, the number of people that are invited to tender and the kind of the, the pressure that puts on the process? I'm not, I'm not a big fan of arbitrary um, sourcing exercises. You know, sources exercises are one of the tools that uh, procurement as a profession could put in place to um, kind of have some order and some um, an audit trail around why you made a, sp- a specific commercial decision. But, you know, if you're throwing RFPs out there just for the sake of it, um, to, to prove you've done a process, to prove you've, you've actually gone out to three people, et cetera, um, that, then you're just really following a process. The point of putting out an RFP is to get the best uh, commercial 
uh, outcome uh, and actually not just the best commercial outcome in terms of what you're paying but the best total cost of ownership out of a particular project and that could mean that you pay uh, the highest fees for a great PR company who end up generating um, X amount more for your organization than a cheaper agency um, because uh, th this more expensive agency is actually more creative that's to, that, that's better total cost of ownership and actually um, being allowed to do an evaluation process that can take all of those things into account is what both procurement and the internal PR, you, you know, intelligent client should be looking to do. It's not about going to, you, you know, the, the cheapest person. And the reason why I say um, the two departments should be working together is that you really should put the, the expertise in the right area. So your internal... Mm -hmm your internal PR team being the intelligent client will be the best people to work out. Um, but Sam, Sam, wouldn't, wouldn't you be better off though out there looking for the, the agency candidate that you want to marry rather than the candidate that you want to date? Yeah, it's a good uh, point. Yeah. I, 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 and I like that analogy, actually, because, you know, um, as I said, uh, a tender exercise is uh, you can't do this in an arbitrary fashion. And if you could get to a situation where you put in place a strategic partner, whether it's for PR, marketing or anything else, who you're working with for a number of years, and they know you're going to be working with them for a number of years, you know you're going to be working with them for a number of years, the, the commercial outcome is always much more advantageous than going out to tender every three months. So, so that is that actually is the preferred outcome uh, for for if organisations are able to come uh, to, to that outcome where they have a firm or a number of firms on a panel who who they will be going to over the course of a structured twelve month period to engage with, um, having gone through an initial upfront sourcing exercise, uh, you'll get better outcomes creatively and you'll get get better outcomes commercially. For sure. Yeah, Kate. Kate, you you must see a lot of RFPs uh, running Acorn as you do. do. Do you feel that those RFPs are invitations for a marriage or invitations to date? Um, so I, I would say um, definitely invitations for the the lowest possible price at, at this point. I feel like you know there's a lot of um, a lot of RFPs that come through with a structured you know quantity of this is how many press releases, this is how many um, you know how what we want in our social media calendar and that kind of thing. And so when we when we look at it, you know we always want to go in with there's always a problem to solve, right? There's always a strategic view of um, adding you know. We, we want to be able to help people to achieve their business objectives using marketing and communications tools. And when you're told you are going to deliver two press releases per month and you're going to um, issue three posts through social media or we need a creative campaign and it's going to have one billboard and three executions in other ways, you know, it really does take that ability to, um, to be advisors out of the process. So when we respond to RFPs, it's always where we're responding on a, you know, a quantities basis or trying to to get um, the minimum response in because it's, it's valued um, quite often, it goes to the lowest bidder uh, rather than even just being within budget um, once you pass the technical phase. So 
I think, um, you know, for us, we, our best opportunities don't come from RFPs. They come from the opportunity, you know, from um, striking up conversations, really understanding what someone's challenge is, um, putting knowledge forward. And it really is a process over time of, you know, three months. But once you get that great project in, you know, you have that, that's how we've won our, our longest clients to date. We have several that we've worked with over six years where we, we, we know what they need. We know how to deliver really great results for them. Um, but those ones, unfortunately, just haven't come through RFPs. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're in an interesting place in, in the UAE in that we, uh, sorry, an interesting point in time in that there is, I think people see that there is a need for change. I think, you know, what I would ideally like to see is that we we have um, RFPs that issue a, a um, you know, clearly outline what the problem or the challenge is, um, and then an opportunity to respond to that um, against a budget. So if, if, if the client is clear about budgets and it doesn't have to be one single budget. It could be a bracket. So, you know, it could be a 5 million a year, it could be a 2 million a year and then a 10 million. And you respond to all three buckets of this is what I would do for each of those categories to solve your problem. Um, that for me would be the ideal point. And I think that allows each agency to get a across their point of difference. And the, the client at the end of the day, I think, you know, ultimately has, has their problem solved and are in a much stronger place as a result. Well, you, you know, Kate, you just, you made a very important point about uh, the client defining the problem. And I think what you're saying here is you'd like to see them define their problem in a different way. Right now, isn't it true that a lot of RFPs are define the problem this way? We need an agency who will do this work for lower cost. <laughs> Solve that problem for us by giving us a proposal for lower cost. Yeah. That's, one, that's one definition of the problem. The other problem could be um, our brand hasn't grown in six years. Mm. We've tried everything. Uh, we've thrown a lot of different media dollars uh, at it uh, in different channels of distribution. We don't really know what works. Solve that problem for us and propose the, the PR, creative, and media work that you would do to get us back to growth. Now, Indeed. That, you know, that is a completely different way of defining the problem. Uh, and I think there is too much of it that is... Uh, give us some work uh, for a lower cost. There's too much of that out there. Sam, would you yeah. agree with that? No, no I, I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and it, it isn't really about, um, you know, the maturity of PR procurement or anything. It's, it's probably the maturity of the business environment in a particular place that mm, defines how this happens. So, so, so basically what, what happens um, in this perspective is people are just buying manpower. Um, or woman power, <laughs> they, 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 they are buying personnel. In other words, they're not defining the problem. They're actually saying we've defined it uh, and whether they are, you know, the intelligent client to have defined it properly or not, they're actually defining it themselves and going out and saying, therefore, do this for us. Can you do two PR campaigns for us? Because we believe that's going to increase our, our brand value. We've already done that exercise. So therefore, all we need from you guys is just uh, two press releases. And, and the thing about it from a procurement perspective, you know, we see this all the time because it goes across all industries. 
you, mm. you know you, you see organizations going out and saying right let's engage let, let's now go out to tender and and tender for a cleaning contract so we we go to several you know high profile cleaning companies and say can you give us nine cleaners and and they will clean at one o'clock and 3 p.m and empty the bins at 5 p.m and and they're defining the scope exactly as that so you you're just buying personnel you're just buying people you're not buying the expertise from that organization and you and, and the thing is you can probably get away with that in some other um, categories of spend but you absolutely can't do it in in pr or marketing because what will happen is that the, the whole point of doing pr and marketing and uh, you know probably teaching you guys to suck eggs is you, you, you're trying to increase brand brand value uh, increase revenue uh, increase awareness and you're not going to do that uh, by just buying personnel <laughs> you're so no, right sam that's no that is it. so right and i think that uh underlying this has been another thing that i've observed in my time in the industry is that there's been a shift in the center of gravity of relationships from something that was 50 50 you know back in the 80s and the 90s to something that's more like uh 70 30 uh with the power at the clients with the clients defining the problems, the clients retaining the data and not sharing it, the clients deciding how much to spend on media, the clients deciding what channels to spend in media, the client deciding what the creative scope of work should look like. Uh, and even in some cases, the clients taking the work to in-house agencies uh, that they have. And this disenfranchising the expertise of the outside agency during that period of time so that just like you said the clients are just feeling like they're buying the manpower of the agency but not any of its problem solving expertise that's an unfortunate trend i think and i do feel as i think you've suggested that we're on the cusp of a change in attitude because the truth of the matter is the strategies that have been pursued for these relationships have not succeeded in generating value and growth for the most part. If you look at it globally, the, the value and growth is not there. So I think new strategies will be needed. And I'm optimistic that procurement will take the lead appropriately and that agencies are going to be uh, brought back into the fold as partners. I'm quite optimistic post-COVID that that might be one of the directions the industry moves. For, Sam, for, do you have any um, insights on on where you think the industry is headed? Yeah, I, I fully agree, and I'll, I'll kind of step back one, you know, one one step and say that it, it's all about you know utilizing your procurement team if you have one um, in the right way. So, so one thing procurement should be able to bring is innovation as well. So it's not all about going out there and and running these RFPs because if you do that, procurement can do one or two things for you. They can run an RFP using an out uh, an input specification, as I've said, where it's a divine, defined scope, or an output specification where it's a, a lot looser. But the third way, third thing procurement can do is obviously look at innovation, and that's really where procurement adds value. Um, you know, if you look at PR, um, you should really be relying on your procurement team at this point or, or, or this time of day to be saying, okay, we're going out to PR companies all this time. Is that still the most effective way to build your brand value? Uh, maybe you should be looking at social media. That seems to be getting, um, you know, um, more results in terms of brand value revenue. Uh, are you still uh, putting out 
press releases in, in paper publications. So, you know, using your procurement team properly should enable you to get insights and innovation on any category of spend um, uh, in any case. It's not about relying on them to do the traditional things all the time. Um, but, but of course, the remit of procurement can to a certain extent only be uh, what they're asked to do in some cases and, and that can be very limiting especially when you're talking about uh, PR but the, w what is the trend yeah the, the trend is uh, more towards utilizing um, procurement for all the things that procurement can do including bringing innovation to the party uh, not necessarily just cutting costs from the bottom line but but um, bringing in revenue at the top line as well which is which is one of the areas that procurement should be utilized so, so the trend in the Middle East definitely is moving away from the transactional and, and it's not just in procurement it's, it's in on the internal functions as well where people are letting go a little bit and and trusting the the the, the agencies that they're dealing with and the the other suppliers that they're dealing with to bring innovation to the parties because there's no point employing a company if you think you're the expert <laughs> because you might as well do it yourself um, yeah. the whole point of bringing a supplier in and nurturing a supplier and partnering with the, with a supplier is that they are supposed to be the expert that's very encouraging, Sam. I'd love to hear that because I think procurement can be a very strong force for positive change. Uh, it saved the automotive industry when it was under severe attack from the Japanese back in the 70s uh, and the 80s. It saved the Western car companies um, and it was totally procurement led. And uh, I'd love to see the same thing happen in this industry, which, you know, is as I outlined in my book, is is, is a manslaughter. You know, it's a, there's there's the near death of agencies through accidental means, and I think there's a lot that procurement can do to uh, to turn that around. Yeah, you, you, you're right, and it's all about uh, yeah as I say, utilizing the right expertise in the right way rather than telling people what to do because there's the, the, there's the story and uh, I don't know whether this is uh, kind of just classic folklore or whether it's a true story, but I once heard the, the, the procurement case study about uh, space travel and uh, NASA, the Americans versus, versus the Russians. And, and the story goes uh, to say that um, the Americans were talking to the, the Russian counterparts talking about the, the pen they've developed which writes in space. So they spent millions, millions of dollars to develop a pen where the, the ink defies gravity. So they're still able to write a note on a piece of paper in space. And, and the research and development has, has cost millions, but they've been successful and they've developed this pen. So they show it to the Russians and the Russians say, ah, oh, that's interesting. We use a pencil. <laughs> Love it. Brilliant. So I, it sounds like there's a lot that we should be doing together. I mean, together we're, we're better and, um, and can collectively improve the process, I think. Um, just going to the point of an industry charter, what are your views on, um, on, on whether or not a charter is going to help or whether or not there's you know, just more work that we need to be doing, um, opening the discussion in the meantime? Michael, what are your views on that? I think, Kate, that it would be very uh, useful these days if there was a, a simple charter that said certain things like the following, that client agency relationships in marketing communications exist to drive growth and profitability for brands. In other words, 
What is the purpose of the relationship? I think it would be useful to have a charter that stated that is the purpose. And if that is the purpose of the relationship, the second thing that I think needs to be said is, what are the requirements for each of the parties in order to achieve that goal or to achieve that purpose? And that means that there there needs to be a deeper understanding of what it is that inhibits brands from growing and why they haven't grown in the last 10 years and how much better brands could grow if certain things were changed. And then the third thing I would say is that the role of the agency and its marketing partners is to identify the barriers to growth and put together, put forward jointly uh, new plans to rekindle growth. And that means that the parties have to, there are other paragraphs that you could put in, but uh, the parties have to work with one another in a positive way, just like in a marriage, which is sure to, you know, encounter rough spots from time to time, but, you know, overcome through, through joint efforts. So I think a charter that explains purpose in a different way, uh, a much a, a much broader purpose uh, that outlines the uh, requirements for each of the parties and is quite specific about the role each of them would play in a partnership for performance could be a very useful thing. I'd love to see the industry attack that uh, from marketing, from procurement, from an agency standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Sam, what are your thoughts on on a charter? Do you think it's beneficial? I think, look, it certainly can't do any harm. Uh, there's a few perspectives here. I think from a from a procurement professional's perspective, and I I always put the the, the big P on there because I think sometimes um, you can assume that uh, someone is acting in a procurement capacity, but are they a professional at doing that? It's one of those um, one of those professions where. Um, there's an often used phrase that anyone can do procurement and it's and it's far from the truth. Uh, you, you I do. think there's also the same phrase in, in marketing, everyone's a marketer, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so I feel your pain, but you know, so, so, so someone who is a fully, fully qualified procurement professional will be, will be, uh, you know, cognizant and very, very aware of all the requirements of dealing with any particular category because there, there are a lot of uniformities and one of the main key elements of that is collaboration so obviously a charter will lead to more collaborations um, and as an industry we we, we have we do have um, similar collabor- specific collaborations with distinct categories of spend uh, if you look at the construction industry following the the Grenfell fire in the UK um, we're at front and center of putting together the new guidelines for for construction of high-rise buildings um, as as an institute as a result of what happened there because we're 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 keen to contribute to the dialogue that says these are the actions and these are the responsibilities of all parties um, within this transaction and I think there's no difference in PR of course uh, the mm. more the, the the various parties understand what each one is trying to achieve, the more you, you, you're going to get a more um, collaboration of thought and the outcomes will be better at the end of the day. It will be a win-win-win well, scenario. That, Sam, what you could do then as procurement is take on Madison Avenue manslaughter and say that our goal <laughs> is to overturn Madison Avenue's manslaughter so that we can get brands moving again. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna read that book as soon as I can, and I'll come back to you. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But I'm it sounds it. like um, I think you know there's a bit of a combination of things going on, and it's about maturity of the market and and people who are educated on all sides of the table. And you know when we when it comes to um, to cost reductions, you know the agencies who are severely cutting costs at the moment, um, you know there's some education required there about the longevity and the damage to the industry. Um, I think you know having educated um, procurement professionals goes a long way. Um, collaboration is also key. And I think just coming together more often to have those discussions and, and, um, and really talk about what could be best practice if we're, if we're all working closely together, but also that advanced planning, you know, I think we've all seen it where it's, um, you know, the, the last minute um, RFP goes out just to tick a box, or we've heard of the situations where people are invited to tender, uh, but the outcome is already known in advance. And of course, there's a lot of really great situations with procurement as well. And and, um, and you know, there's there's uh, long-term relationships that can really be be grown out of the um, the right procurement of marketing and public relations as well. Um, so on that note, is there anything else that that either of you wanted to cover off? I feel like we could talk for hours. I think we probably could, but I think just to highlight the fact that it's all about having the right people involved in the right transactions at the right time, and 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 we we you know as the institute that represents the the procurement profession, we just advocate that uh, people are are fully qualified. Uh, in the profession uh, so that there, there are no assumptions as to what procurement does or what procurement should do, uh, mm -hmm. because those people are, are, are the best ambassadors of the profession. Absolutely. Michael, is there anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I did make the point earlier that how the problem is defined uh, by procurement or by marketing or by chief financial officers uh, and how agencies respond is critical and redefining the problem at a higher level, I think, is quite important for the industry. So, you know, as part of getting the right people trained uh, and certified in procurement and having the right leadership at agencies is important. But by the same token, they have to have the right ideas about, about what they should be doing. Uh, and I think that looking back on the last 20 or 30 years, I think uh, both parties have gotten a little off track and they've they've tended to find their problem is uh, there's too much cost in the system uh, rather than there uh, there is a need for better performance on the top line. So I, I think a redefinition of the problem uh, would benefit both parties. And I, and I think that part of the certification process within procurement would be enormously helpful. Absolutely. I know a lot of good has come out of um, the Chartered in Institute of Procurement and Supply in this region as more people get accredited as well. Um, I think that's gone a long way to, um, to how things have evolved here over time. That's all for today. Thanks to our special guests, Sam and Michael. I think we could talk about this for hours. Um, and a very big thank you to everyone for tuning in. For those who are interested in learning more about strategies for best practice in procurement, including the input and output scopes, as well as how to innovate procurement within their organization, please do get in touch with the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply. They'd be glad to help you and put you on the right path. 
and any agency or end user that wants to see better results and looking for the PR partner that they want to marry and not just date, do get a copy of Madison Avenue Manslaughter. Now look out for the third edition. It includes a, um, a chapter with Sir Martin Sorrell and um, it's available on Amazon. You can get it within a couple of weeks of ordering. Also, if you wanted to have some more consultancy or one-on-one time with Michael, reach out to Farmer & Co. Again, a very big thank you to everyone who's listened in today.